Hello and welcome to another episode of Tried and True, a podcast hosted by Delaware War Machine. I am your host, Paul. I'm Dan. America. We want to go ahead and take a moment to thank a couple of people to make this stuff happen. So thank you to More Than Dice for giving us another platform. And if you go ahead and take a look at the show notes, there's so many more podcasts and content creators out there. You should go and take a look and give them a listen. If you didn't know, you can find us up on YouTube, and if you aren't subscribed, consider subscribing. The more subs that we have helps us out with getting more people our content, being able to see those awesome battle reports, podcasts, and we actually just had our first hobby video up on there on how to make terrain. So if you want to go and check that out, you can see that in the show notes. And also, finally, thank you for all the folks on Patreon. With your support, you have been able to help us to be able to push out a lot of great content. Recently, they just did a vote on the most recent battle report, which is going to be Scorn versus Crix. So we have that that's probably dropping, I believe, next week by the time of this recording. And, you know, go ahead and join on up. Get to be part of those different votes and, you know, have yourself a good time. We also wanted to go ahead and use this time to go ahead and share our sponsorship by Tabletop Armory. Use the code TRIEDTRUE10 to save 10% on your order. It's the same stuff that we end up using in the hobby video, so we definitely recommend that if you wanted to try that out, to go ahead and visit the store. Aside from hobby terrain items, they also have widgets and other 3D elements that you can go ahead and use and make your War Machine tables look awesome. And with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest. Today, we have Damon from the Minority Report here. Damon, go ahead and say hello. Hey, hello, guys and gals. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, super excited you're here. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Woo! Hey, Damon, for those that <laughs> yeah. aren't aware, can you go ahead and just kind of give some background of, like, you know, the Minority Report and the other projects that you're involved in? Absolutely. Uh, Minority Report, just like our brothers and sisters over here at Tried and True, are content creators for the game that we have grown to love which is war machine and well i'm sorry war machine <laughs> subtract the horse so we we've been probably casting for now I, I think we said four years which is amazing we are known for one of our events that we put on yearly called the siege invitational that takes place in july this year july the 22nd that weekend it's an event in memphis and uh yeah we we're looking forward to seeing who's coming out this year Oh, and that's an IG qualifier, right, Damon? It is. A, it is an Iron Gauntlet qualifier for Warfare Weekend. Yeah, so Delaware War Machine, we're going to send two players out to that. So Andy and shout out to Rick. They will be hanging out at the Siege Invitational this year trying to... Andy really wants his name on your ginormous hammer. Not only your name on it, Andy, if you win it, your name goes in a drawing. And after five years, the names in the hat, if your name is pulled, you get the hammer. Like that hammer goes home with you. God, I, I would know where would go in the house. Get it back home to Delaware, but <laughs> Erica, no, you you know where you put it? You put it in the uh, basement, hanging up where all the other War Machine stuff is. Yeah, <laughs> the War Machine shrine. Yeah, this will totally fit in the overhead luggage compartment, right? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, wait, isn't the hammer like really, really heavy? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. I You'd have to go and check that on its own because it's like probably over the forty pounds or whatever that is. <laughs> Without a doubt. Heavy I metal. think we have a picture with Andy holding it, don't we, Eric? Yeah, we do, because we bumped yeah. into you guys uh breakfast at Warfare yeah, Weekend Warfare last Weekend. year. Yeah. yeah. We're like, what is that? 
Oh, the other thing too. So for Adepticon, I think we're doing kind of a joint podcast team in the five-man team event that's taking place on Saturday, because next weekend, right? So Andy and I will be uh, fighting alongside with the Minority Report folks. So we're looking forward to that. We still need a team name. We still need to figure out a team name. I'm so disappointed I will not be partaking, but I am hoping that you carry the banner of Damon far into the competition. I was looking forward to being <laughs> side by side with the flying butthole monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so in current news or recent news, the Primecast 13 just came out and I didn't realize that it was their year anniversary from the first Primecast. What did you think about the different things that they announced? Like the new troll models? Like they talked a lot about those models. And what about Chimera? I am all the way bought into the new troll pirates those things look awesome incredible fluffy effectiveness like i i just can't wait to see um and chimera like blew my mind it's it's so refreshing to see an army created off of the fluff that they have created as far as with the hinge scrolls and things like that so i can't wait to see how all this comes to play on the table and what this new legion looks like <laughs> uh once it's released I was going to go say, though, I think Erica was a little disappointed about Chimera because you thought it was going to be your dinosaurs. Hey, that's okay. I mean, as a as a Hordes player, we're now War Machine, right? The one thing I really liked about the new Trolls and the War Beast was it was like dress up with the War Beast. So like, I'm all about that, okay? Like, I love Dollhouse in my games, so I, that's really cool. I don't know what that means. Is that going to be different anime or... Weapon abilities, I'm not 100% sure what that means, but the fact that you can change his hat, like, I'm all about it, okay? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm all about Dollhouse, okay? <laughs> I think they did say the uh, one troll gets a different animus depending on what kind of hooch it's drinking. So, you know, you gotta you gotta equip him with the, the right uh, refreshment for the game. Uh, for my part, I'm here for Mama Boomy. I have a really old friend who used to play with us in Mark II, and he's been out of the game for a while. I'm really hoping, he was a troll player at the time hoping that the uh, the new Trolls faction draws him back in so I can get some games in with my old buddies again. They were talking about the new armies. What was it? They they said that Black Fleet and the Temple Guardians, right? The, the Protectorate Temple Flame Guard Army, right? Guardians of the Flame, that was it. So they have those guys that are going to be coming out. And then I was really surprised. They talked a little bit about the Mage Hunters. So, I mean, I am so excited with the news that Elowir models are going to go be in there. I am I, I'm placing bets whether it's going to be Falseer or Thyron. I, I like Falseer, but I really, really, really like Thyron. So I hope that's going to be him. I, I love my man. He's he's just straight man mode on people. It's great. I I think maybe it'll be Falseer. When I first saw Falseer's stat card back in Mark III, I, I just thought to my... It was like I'd taken about six months off of the game during the pandemic, and I came back and I was like, who is this Retribution caster? So I, I took a look, and I was like, this stat card looks like it's from a completely different edition of war machine at the time in mark three and yeah, now that we're here in mark four i'm like those bounty tokens are a very compelling feature and that's a very engaging way to play the game and it just stinks of like new design and i'd love to see more of that stuff i want to play the mini game caster in my faction it's fine no but uh, but the other thing though is like because it's the elowir models i'm happy that that probably means that the wardens are going to be in there the elowir swordsman will be in there uh hopefully the warden executioners will also be in there so i am really excited about it and i mean this is my personal speculation but because that the legions of dawn was all the shayil models i'm hoping that 
mage hunters is all the vire models and those are the ones that i personally like a lot more like you know the banshee's knockdown gun and the demon like there's just some weird stuff with the vire models i i have speculations on what it's going to end up looking like and i mean the fact that eloir is in there i i don't know i think i'll probably be jumping ship to playing mage hunters like all the time now at this point how about the war machine app because uh big news all the battle engines were released, right? Like, I think all the battle engine rules were, or at least most of them were. So what were your thoughts on some of the battle engines? Dan, I know that I think both chariots are now available, am I right? Are you going to be, are they going to see much play for you? Yes, both chariots for the Man of War option are available. We're talking traditional Kador here, or Legacy Kador. Because the Man of War army is the one that we have available to us right now, those two models got slotted into Prime. The other one that was released for traditional Kador that is just a battle engine, is the Winter Guard gun carriage, which we expect will be available when they drop the Winter Guard army for Legacy Kodor. And we also have Old Witch 2 available, who is technically a battle engine, but also a warcaster. So to talk about the Kador ones in general, I have to say that I am not happy with the state that they are in on release, particularly the Winter Guard gun carriage. That model had some really fun special rules in previous editions, and they have been wholly removed from the stat card. There is no more trampling hooves. There is no more crater on the gunshots. So a lot of the efficacy of this model, I feel like, and a lot of the compelling reason to play it and put it on the table has been removed. So I personally won't be using it until I see a reason to have it back on the table with some special rules. Other things that I noticed were that the Assault Chariot lost point of rate of fire it used to be d3 plus one and it's now just d3 and on a model that is as fragile as that uh, battle engine is that is a letdown for me it probably will not have the offensive output it needs to be a compelling option in my armies and the siege chariot used to carry this uh, slam gun that that hit everything with a pal 20 and then collateral damage was a pal 20 in mark 3 and mark 4 they've made it half the damage of the guns, so it's now only a POW-10 collateral, and I'm going to be missing the look on my opponent's faces that I used to get whenever I used to say POW-20 collateral damage. <laughs> so I'm sure his opponents will not miss. <laughs> look, it was a lot of Vlad 2 with the armor core, okay? Like... That's right. That's right. They're, they're, gonna be, they're not going to be missing wearing the brown I remember those that. days. <laughs> You mentioned the crater rule being removed. So looking at the red right. ones, I'll say this. The trident being in Dawnguard made sense. Figured that was going to be the case. I am happy that it got the D3 power tokens a turn. I think that that is great, though it lost shooting gallery. So I th I don't know if it traded up, traded down, or lateral change. But I mean, if I'm going to be rat six, I'm fine with that. I'd, I'd take rat six and get the three tokens to boost some stuff later on, as opposed to, you know, waiting until turn three where it may not be relevant anymore. Before, like, getting away from the shooting gallery thing. So with Mark four, like, you have spotters now. No, no, I was going to go say that, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, you could still stay at, like, max range and still get that benefit as if you had shooting gallery. Yeah. And that'd be about 17 points, which back in Mark Three was a 16-point model. So, no, it, it actually does work out. And not only the Trident would benefit from that, but every, all my other guns would benefit from it, too. Or you could just take a Siri and just blinding light the thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. The thing that grinds my gears the most, though, is that... Crater was a rule that they removed from the gun carriage. That is still a rule that exists in this edition. So I'm not sure why that it can't retain that special rule. 
I do understand the trampling special rules that were removed because trample works differently now. And that's that's fine. But uh, I really do think that model needs something. I was going to say, though, because my AFG shows up in the limited. So it's a fire model, which I'm going back to, you know, my mage hunters. I, yep. I don't see mage hunters with, you know, a big sneaky giant laser gun but whatever i just i guess that's going to be the battle engine i might get but no easy cricket <laughs> but 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 uh the what was going to say the, the, i think i would have had a crater it was the like destruction or blasted earth or something i'd make aoe fours which you know those don't exist anymore it pretty much everything is aoe threes but they got rid of that i want to say it's just a uh, uh like a aoe two shot now at this point but no i i noticed the same thing and i just wonder if it was like a change across all battle engines like what do you think i'm not sure because as you look at the the battle engines like there's so many things that were changed and significantly made things better or worse <laughs> like they tried it now that there's not a front art as a 360 there's no longer my left gun can shoot here but it can't shoot there oh my god i can shoot behind me now yeah so like now you can bring all three guns to bear on something without centering the model so like that's powerful but then you look at like what happened to the gun carriage, which is a travesty in my opinion as well. Um, is you know I always look at this game and say make these rules. It's like okay, we're just seeing part of it. Maybe there's something else that's going to drop that's going to you know bring so some synergy to it, and that's why it is the way it is. But sometimes it's hard. It's hard. Like the gun carriage is literally a paperweight. I was going to say, I think it's actually like it's easier to, you know, bring layers up and bring something up to be more relevant and useful. But then it feels really bad when it's like, oh, it has all the things. And then, you know, you start scraping at it from the bottom. It's like, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to see the forest for the trees when we get a trickle little bit by little bit. So I am still hesitantly optimistic here. I am waiting for maybe another update or the addition of the winter guard army that this thing will fit into to help me see that full picture. So, you know, I'm staying engaged, but for 13 points, the destroyer has a better gun. I, see I still think it's me. better than the interceptor, though. Like the, the Crucible Guard interceptor is terrible. Like really? It, okay. It, yeah, it no longer has the power, gives power swell or whatever it is where you get the power tokens. It is horrible i mean that um, thing was a nightmare in the previous edition it really was at, it really and was. it was like reason i could not drop into crucible guard was the Railless interceptor so uh if that was taken down a notch that's a little okay for my opinion but i understand if you're a crucible guard player that's probably not so hot especially if you own two of them the other thing that i also saw because like i have the scorn army as well i ended up looking at the derp turtle and i thought it was really interesting because i wondered if the derp turtle because you know originally you would just whip it to make it mad and that's how you'd go about your business. But they ended up, you know, removing friendly fire. And I said, well, maybe they'll give the Derp Turtle a special rule. But no, no, they didn't. Not at all. Instead, they made it so that it has shield guard. So that I guess that's some ways that you're able to get some damage on it beforehand. And then they also changed one of the rules. What was it? It was the, I'm looking at it right now. It can make additional attacks, but it can no longer boost attacks anymore. But what's cool is that it's rage fueled, which is like the more rage tokens on it, it gets stronger. So it starts off as uh, power 18 for its tail, but it can go up to, you know, uh, 21 and then go down after you like start to buy all your attack. Uh, just really, really cool. I like it. And then also pain monger because you can no longer medicate it because it's i guess it's not considered like a war piece anymore it has the ability to just heal itself it, like per rage tokens d3 plus one which i think is neat so i was going to say that the turtle was a good design choice in 
making it work in a Mark IV world when, you know, you, you think of what made it iconic to begin with. So I was happy with how that one did. Uh, he, he he got apparently a little, you know, fatter or something. He went down a speed, but I'm better than that. I'm all right. That thing was so fast. <laughs> one point of speed's probably fine. I agree. That that seems like a very compelling change. You know, it, it's more self-sufficient now, which I think is very good for that. You can kind of put it more on a flank rather than having it be in the middle of the army requiring more support and all that good stuff. You know, it'll shield guard an important shot here or there to to put it onto its health boxes. But, you know, it's it's really great that it does things by itself. Yeah, um, I mean... And, and even just looking at its stats, it's got like 30-something boxes, right? So for a battle engine, it's really freaking tanky. Dwarf it's more, toilet, it's got more than the chariots. Dwarf toilet, 40. It's insane. That's a lot of boxes. So I know earlier we mentioned Old Witch 2. Are you excited to throw her on your Grimkin army again, Erica? So Old Witch 3, okay, so... We're going to go back to like 2017. I think that's when the Grimkin came out. So like the old witch was the reason I went into Grimkin. So our friend Chuck was over. Shout out to Chuck. Miss you. We need to hang out sometime soon. Was showing me the Grimkin army in his app. And I'm like, oh, it's the old witch. Like I freaking love her. She's my favorite Iron Kingdom's character. I like old lady witches that turn into monsters. Like that's cool to me. Okay. <laughs> so my biggest complaint with her in mark three was one maneuvering a battle engine caster is always like you have to do some 4d chess right to try and figure out how to maneuver this huge base with terrain and, and your your war beast your jacks or whatnot but she never had access to arcana so i remember having the conversation with andy quite frequently playing her where i'm like i wish she didn't have a feat and i could just take three arcana because that's the strength of grimkin right is to lure my opponent in have them slip up and mess up and that's a huge tool that was missing from a warlock in this faction that that's how they play so the fact that she doesn't have a feat and i could take seven command cards including the grimkin arcana is like completely mind-blowing for me and as a grimkin player it's the only thing I could have asked for on her. So thank you, Lauren, and everybody at PP that made that decision on behalf of the Grimkin community. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to play her and put her on the table. I think, I mean, so she lost an initial attack, right? So she doesn't have two stompies. She only has one. But you have power swell now, right? So you can kind of offset that. I think she's better in Mark IV, just based off of the change that she doesn't have a feat and can use arcana now so i can't wait to play her i actually forgot we had this interview tonight so i was asking on discord i'm like hey who wants to come over to the house and play some war machine tonight because i really want to put her on the on the board so that's where i'm at with it so i'm excited to play her i can't wait for for the Kador side she does still have the feat the feat is still that she does all of the things on her machinery but the way that Mark IV interacts with those machinery has changed and I think is a downgrade for her. Particularly, one of her best ones was the ability to extend her control range, leverage a, a very powerful Windstorm spell. Now that Windstorm has changed to only affect friendly models rather than enemy models, I can't see myself ever needing or using that arcane machinery. Nope. Rare is the case a jack ends up outside your control range. So and on, yeah, on the flip side of that, so on the Grimkin side of the house, that's huge for us because now my arcana on my command cards have just extended an additional four inches, which is like... Right. The, um, the way that this model interacts with both of our factions is drastically different. And I feel that difference or I feel the wrong end of the stick yeah, and it was it was opposite in Mark Three. Like I always felt she played better in Kador than she did in Grimkin. So I now it's it's 
the shoes. She on wasn't the other my foot. personal cup of tea in Mark Three, but I I do agree with that that determination. Yes. On the uh, subject of Grimkin and Battle Engine, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. So the death knell. All right, we gotta talk about this cart. So again, it's a solo. All right, this comes from a place of love. All right, no hate. It could score flags. That's cool, I guess. But it like so. At what point am I going to want this huge base model up on a flag with the way that the scenarios are right now? Right? Because where do I have a flag that's kind of central in the zone? You know, it's it's a backline. It's a support piece. At no other than at the like end of the game is am I going to play that piece up realistically? Right? It not being a battle engine means it can't score zones. So uh, scenarios like bunkers or uh, what's scenario two with the um, those bunkers. Oh, yeah. Okay. So bunkers or any of the ones that have that rectangle zone that, that's on your side, I can't score that anymore. So with, I guess spread the net. With it not being a, a battle engine, it's not protect. And I think Damon and I talked about this in our battle report is with it not having that battle engine tag, it's not protected by some of the rules that battle engines can. At the Maplewood Steamroller we went to a couple months ago, that's where you know, Seth, we were looking at the rules. We're like, oh, okay, like this model can indeed get slammed. It's just half the distance, right? Because it's bigger. It lost repo, which I don't know if that's intended or not, because it makes it very hard to drop off corpses and then move that huge base model, right? Because huge bases are kind of hard to negotiate with back. So when I drop off corpses, I have like, I really have to be careful where I place my army because it's very rough. So I, I kind of, as a Grimkin player, as a Grimkin player, I miss it being a battle engine because of those those reasons and i missed having repo uh, a whole lot <laughs> i want to i want to circle back to what you're saying when we move on to the main segment i'm going to touch back on that but for now damon tell us about the uh infernals version uh we we have no battle engines <laughs> he uh there's something else missing too though right oh yeah our structure the gate i don't know where it is but you need to bring it to me Oh, <laughs> like, uh, I thought that I thought they knocked that thing down. I was about to say it's a structure. They just left it where it was to be rebuildable, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, so here's the thing: we know it's coming. That's great. I love the fact that they changed Hawk back to Tactician, so now people can move through the gate. Which, when they change Hawks to only Warrior models, Tactician, basically, it kind of made the gate more difficult to field. But now with Hulk in his in his original form, I think every Inferno player is going to be almost a staple in the army again, if the rules stay about the same. Just because I don't have a lot of experience with, so like, what is the gate a utility piece, kind of like the death knell is for Grimkin, or does it play a completely different role in your army? It, it it's a little bit of everything. So just just to run through a few rules, this this it has ghost shot. It has a a gun that was it was range twelve, power fourteen, and an AOE three what reload no matter what the proximity is it collects the souls then it had two innate abilities which was if a, a master is summoning a, a horror within i think 10 inches of it, it it summons it for one less essence which is huge and then it had a placement effect because it generates it can generate souls by this gun as well as if it starts to turn without souls it, it gains d3 any model within five inches for one soul can be placed within two inches of its current location so it added threat to the to the army as well. They can also use the soul to replenish uh, medium or small base models, soulless models in the maintenance phase, as well as boost damage or attacks with the souls that's on it. So for an army that has really no long range, that was a, a very useful 
firing battery as well as essence management and then ascending threat so it's a very good piece that is missed can i actually ask though like would that i assume that the rules would have to change with it because i think if i remember correctly you can only summon three horrors so would that saving an essence to put a horror into play be necessary and they don't they don't pay tithe anymore right so they just that is correct yeah so like would would it really be necessary or at least that one rule to still be there if it would show up do you think no i think that's probably the where it used to be the the staple was that one essence now it's just nice um i think now the main thing you will use it for is a firing battery and the extended threat that one less essence really uh, i agree with you completely it really doesn't matter anymore or the, not that much gotcha and then did anybody because i know that the, the dusk rules actually dropped as well did anybody find like the dusk rules to be really really compelling or interesting uh so andy and i started looking at them last night and the biggest takeaway we got again not so much in detail we were just kind of like we were really interested in the infantry to see what the infantry did when andy was and i were looking at it he said it reminds him of a protector at crick's like mashed up that's Protectorate in Cricks or yeah, like because of the like the spell denial and all of the like the like the denial that Dusk brings to the table and all the debuffing. So it kind of reminded him of like if Protectorate were to come out with a new type of army, like a Mark IV kind of play style, that that's what he would expect it to play like. But what's got the debuffing power of Cricks? I was going to ask though because I know that he said like give me a reason not to want them and stuff. Is he actually looking to maybe play them now because that they have that? Particular he likes some. He do like some dark elves. He has been looking at them. I don't know if he's ready to pull the trigger yet. On uh, he loves protectorate. Like he loves protectorate. Real quick on the tail end of dusk, uh, can I just say I was looking over some of the rules as well. Uh, very briefly, the warjacks. One of their arm options has. Uh, the ability to go, I'm going to steal your focus or fury when I punch you. Uh, I hate that. I It's so oppressive to me. Like, if you're fighting against hordes and they come in with a heavy and they fully load it and it's got all the fury on it, suddenly your warjack's going to walk up with three focus and start punching. And by, it can t- by like seven, eight attacks or something, because it's going to suck all the fury off of that, that war beast. It's insane. They're uh, so dad, you know how you're like we're ripping on the the Storm Legion focus guys, whoever yes. they are, the really good guy. Have you seen the dusk version? Yeah, the mechanics. Have you seen like the dusk version of the mechanics? Those guys I didn't get that far. Sick. Am I gonna be upset? Tell me I'm not gonna be upset. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna let you read it, man. No. I'm sure we'll talk about it on open play night. <laughs> the last thing that they've been that they put out was all the lore. Have you been finding about reading the lore? Because I know that there was the Alari special that they talked about, like his life, and then they talked all about Orgoth. Did you get a chance to read both of those? I got through the first couple sections of Alari's, you know, backstory and the explanation of how he got his Warcaster strength and everything. And it's so far, it's good. I like the you know, matter-of-fact presentation of it. I like that it has a little bit of a taste of, uh, you know, his thoughts and his feelings going through his life, but also presents it in a way that it's kind of like what you might read in a history book. Uh, that's interesting to me. I go back to reading the fluff book from, or the uh, faction book from Kador back in uh, Mark II. And while I can't say it's the b- best written book I've ever read in my life, if you dig down into it, that book reads like uh, World War One propaganda from like the USSR, and everything is like 
we are the best because we're Kador and you know we're gonna take over the land that was already ours to begin with so I it was very tongue-in-cheek reading that and I, I kind of got vibes of that when I was reading the background the heroes and villains for Captain Alari Boris Yuck I like it yeah on my lunch break today I was actually reading through the Orgoth stuff and I really liked seeing the stuff about like the souls and how basically they would die and then they got the deal with the Felgoth in order to go and you know, get the soul to be born back into a baby and you remember these like past lives and stuff and I mean I know that they mentioned it on like the prime cast but it was really cool to actually read that though I am going to go say how the fluff is designed I think I'm getting old because I can only read like a paragraph at a time and I need to like rest my eyes for a little bit just because it's difficult to read the you know the small font on you know a tiny phone so whether it's like it gets to a desktop version or I get a uh or I get a tablet, it was, it's very, very difficult to read them in long sessions. I don't like reading stuff on my phone either. I just... Feedback. Feedback. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Damon? What know. is your feeling? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how you even try to read it on your phone. <laughs> I read it on a tablet. It's a lot better. You know what? I thought, like, oh, wait, maybe if I go sideways, like, it, it, it makes the screen wider, so I'd actually be able to, you know, see it better. But no, it, like, it shows, here's, like, the library, and then the, the and, like, oh, no, it, it made it even worse, so. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to with the uh, PC release, is being able to read this stuff, not on my not on my phone. Yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. Oh, we need to go over our events, right? Oh, yeah, so all the different events that are going on. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly read them off. So, some of our group's going to be at Adepticon, so... Please stop by and hang out with us there. We have a very close uh, regional event. The Boker Brawl is a standout in New Jersey put on by uh, Seth, and you might might have heard him on his podcast about it. But uh, Boker Brawl is an excellent event. We'd encourage you to go. It's a great time. Uh, Damon here, you've got an event coming up, right? What's that one? That is the Siege Inventational, the weekend of uh, July the 22nd. Yep, great, yep. great event there, and we'd encourage you guys to go out and see Damon and his crew and try to win yourself a hammer. They'll put your name on a hammer, and then you have to find some way to ship it back home with you. Don't worry, it only weighs like 150 pounds, it's fine. <laughs> Slight exaggeration, 120. <laughs> oh, only 120, okay. <laughs> and then we got the big one right at the end, we got Nova. Nova, that's right. So, quick uh, spot on Nova. If you are thinking of attending Nova, please log in and purchase tickets for the events for War Machine that we're putting on at Nova. If the tickets do not sell for the particular events, they will reduce the tables available to play War Machine at, which means that even if you're not signing up for an event, your ability to come in and play an open play or pickup game against anyone else at the con will be impacted by them removing tables that are allocated to us currently. So if you're thinking about buying a ticket or playing in one of our events, please try to err on the side of purchasing your tickets early rather than later, because we need that support to make sure that all of the events that we want to put on can go off without a hitch and can be well supported and well attended. So please buy your tickets early if you can. Thank you very much. And that's not even just like Nova. That's like any, because Damon was telling us, it's like, it's like any of the cons that if you're waiting till last minute, right, to, you know, determine if you're going to be going or not, well, they're allocating and changing that table space. So yeah, if you're thinking about it, like, yeah, go sign up. So that way we can go over. Yeah, um, Damon, do you want to talk about the, like the Rocky map or there was one qualifier, right? That Yeah, there's a rock. It's, it's not a minority report thing, but da Damon 
personally is TOing EOing event in Knoxville, Tennessee, May the twenty seventh. I believe that's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it is an IG qualifier, uh, Iron Gauntlet. Um, and honestly, we ran into the same problem where you know we weren't registering, which we are known for that in our community. <laughs> we wait till last minute. Terrible, terrible practice. I do it myself. But um, but yeah, that's that's coming up here at the end of May. And just you know, across the board with an addition change, right? So I know there's a lot of players that are you know are kind of taking the year off and waiting for the Mark IV rollout. But just you know, just as a community, we're kind, of, we're you know, we're not we're not quite as big as the GW guys and some of these other games. But you know, if if you're in the area and you can just come out, like it it would mean so much, especially for this first year. Like it's rough out here, you guys. Like it's it's super rough. Solidarity. And, yeah, together. solidarity. I mean, the community. We like we need you guys. So and we want to play games, right? That's right. <laughs> and we want to come back next year. So yeah, if you're in the area, please, please. All right, so I think that's going to bring us on to our main topic for the podcast. I know it's taken us a while to get here, so thanks for sticking with us. But tonight we wanted to talk about terrain in wargaming. So we're going to we're going to do our war machine bit last actually. We want to go and hit very quickly what terrain has looked like in other games that we've all played over the years and how it impacts them very quickly and then we'll get to the main event on war machine. So I think uh, our biggest players for Warhammer are probably uh, Erica and I don't know if Damon has much experience with it either but uh, Erica what's what's the role of terrain in a Warhammer game? So typically so I play AOS right I played 40k like 15 years ago. I know they definitely need the terrain because they'll just delete each other from you know across the across the ways. But typically terrain in AOS, it's a lot of ruins. Okay, it's a lot of ruins and skulls. So the cool thing about terrain in AOS that I like, so I play Skaven. So I got my own like little terrain piece. That's kind of cool. I like the thematic faction terrain. I think it gives a little extra, you know, fluff and flavor. So that's really cool. And that's kind of neat to see that idea starting to come over to War Machine. I'm all about it. But the way that terrain works, it's very interactable when it comes to elevation and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to like have a sniper hero shooting enemies out of a a window or or something like that. Same thing with uh, Mordheim. Shout out. Terrain's really important in that game. And, but it's more, feels like more thematic uh i guess but with the way that the rules work and the attacks like you need terrain or you're just your army will just get deleted <laughs> before you get to play but most of the times you just see like those giant walls or what it is and yeah the the line of sight is very 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 important in those games the i guess the next group that we can talk about is there a skirmish level games so privateer press has warcaster there's things like infinity and malifo so those games are much more different because of there's smaller units or there's less models on the board which means that there's less models on the board that's more space so you fill that space with terrain so there's lots of stuff for you to go and climb up and hide behind and there's scatter pieces all over the place which i'll say makes for really cool looking games i know that we had a local player bring his warcaster stuff it was my first time playing it and we made this little city outpost thing i don't know but it just it felt like a really fun little skirmish game to go and play you know throwing some guys up on a roof and having them go and shoot down at his stuff i had my warjack charge at his warjack and you know knocking stuff out of the way it was really really cool but then i guess even more of a skirmish game dan i'm pretty sure you can talk a lot about marvel crisis protocol that's right marvel crisis protocol is like my side hustle i do adore that game i do not get to play it as often as i would like to because i focus on war machine a lot 
but uh, terrain plays a big proponent or a big part of, of Marvel Crisis Protocol. It does all the normal things you'd expect in a war game. It provides some defenses, some cover, some elevation. It blocks line of sight and all that good stuff. But the best part about terrain in Marvel Crisis Protocol, if you want to talk about terrain interactions, Erica... You can throw it at people. Is that throw it at whole, people, yeah. The Hulk can beat you over the head with it. <laughs> <laughs> so oftentimes you'll find a game of Marvel Crisis Protocol ends up with an empty board by the end of it, especially if somebody's playing Magneto, because that guy will just chuck things like baseballs all game long. And it just explodes. And you have this dynamic board that evolves as the game goes on. And... Oh, that area of the board was really difficult to get to before, unless I had a character that flies or maybe Spider-Man swinging on his webs. But now that someone exploded the Daily Bugle stand, I can get over there and I can get to this objective suddenly. Mm -hmm. So it's dynamic and it changes a lot. It's really impactful and very compelling to play with lots of cool terrain pieces. How about uh, Damon, do you have any other war games that you play that use terrain? Well, uh, I, I, yes, I used to play. It's the, past, it's the correct term for me. But Infinity is another terrain-rich game, and I mean, when 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 you talk about beautiful tables and very interactive tables, Infinity is the first one that comes to mind. Playing in like in these desolated war zones with ships, where you can go through the ships and battle in buildings and and elevation, and there's so much gameplay and rules where you can sneak around and go prone and crawl, and because. Infinity is one of the very few games where your opponent can actually have a turn during your active turn. They can react to your turn. So terrain is very imperative in that game. So there's a lot of it. So then we're talking about the terrain being impactful. And just recently in Mark IV, we got the Guard Tower rules, which, by the way, if you did not know, they are officially out. Very interesting interactions. We've been learning about them while playing with them. But what I wanted to do is, before we even start talking about that, how has the terrain rules changed from like Mark 1 to 2 and then 2 to 3 and now 3 where we are now? So I know Erica and Damon, you said he played in Mark 1. Like, what did those tables end up looking like? Uh, do you want to start, Damon? <laughs> yeah, they're wasteland. Yeah, I mean... We put nothing on the table, y'all. Like, <laughs> maybe we had a house in the middle, but it was like every battle was in this desolate meadow. And yeah, terrible, terrible. yeah, Mark 1 was, was like, it was. Your that terrain, was a crazy time. Your terrain was the week. plywood floor that you were playing on. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember playing with maybe like two pieces of terrain, if that. It was literally like, try to kill the other guy's caster. Like, that was pretty much the game. Yeah, Mark 1 games went really quick. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of goes back to like, we were talking about like Warhammer, where if there's nothing in the middle, then you're just going to go shoot at each other. So, right. Then how about Mark II? Is that when they started to introduce more forests and rubble and stuff like that? Rubble was not a thing until much later, but yes. So forests and hills and houses, for me, were the standout features of Mark II terrain. Those were the three most common things I would see on a table. And occasionally you would get some some water features, but the addition was effectively defined by oh and and the they introduced the linear obstacle the small walls uh that was the other big thing so you would have those four types of major terrain features and outside of that you wouldn't see much else um mark ii was also for me dominated by terrain features that were a bit awkward to play with and they were not really uh any kind of standardized section so if you would go to a different game store you know one of the stores near me was uh, notorious for having these hedges 
that were just impossible to move around or move over because some like my Kador Warjacks would struggle to move past them with a regular advance unless I would go directly across. Then I could fit my base on the other side. If I chose to move diagonally, forget it. So that was a bit difficult. And uh, so, uh, Erica, I know that you skipped that edition for the most part. But Damon, did you play much in Mark II? That's re- really where I cut my teeth. And, and that's why you saw me nodding and laughing because you, the tables were very basic. Um, you know, and I think it was one of the things that really made War Machine and Whores at the time struggle with growth is because everything was so cookie cutter. It was not a lot of variety in a table that you could do. So, yeah, yeah, it was water. You saw that like once every five, six, eight tables. I remember like <laughs> yeah. if you had a war jack or Mark one, if you got knocked down in the water, your boiler would go out. So yeah. your jack would just die. So people yeah. would throw your jack or knock it down in water. And that was it. Yeah. Forget it. You had, to, awesome. you had to go get a crane to haul the damn thing out. Yeah. Right. And then light it back <laughs> Oh, and they had they had deep water, like if yeah, there was deep and shallow water, yeah, or, or a river. You like you could actually just lose miniatures in it. They would just disappear. They sunk. That's not cool. <laughs> That's why you got to go around it. Don't throw my jack in the pond. Come on. <laughs> So then, at least for Mark III, because that's when I started to play, and I'm going to be honest, when we started playing Mark III, it was all the neoprene 2D stuff. Like, I never saw 3D tables, like, anywhere. And even when there'd be a, a suggestion for 3D, it always was the 2D stuff. So was, was that just your experience, like, overall, like, playing? Maybe, like, 3D, like, sprinkled in every now and then, or what? It would depend, for me, it would depend on the game store that you played at and how long that game store had been in existence and was there an existing War Machine community there. I think that the 2D terrain came out of two things. One was the necessity for new player groups. We need terrain for this game. It's a very important part of the game and the competitive rules specify what terrain should be used, how much should be used, where it should be placed. It's a vital part of the competition of the game. Not to mention it adds to the narrative, but if your group didn't have any terrain, they didn't want to spend time on terrain. They just bought some neoprene stuff. There's a retailer online. I can get it. I can set up a tournament's worth of tables with this flat terrain very easily, very quickly. Storage is very much easier. You don't have to have bookshelves and bookshelves at your local game store of houses and railings and hills and whatever. So I think that Part of it was a uh, uh, generated by necessity and convenience, and the other part of it was created because of the emerging technology of measurement devices that we now had. What are you talking about? As a part of an addition shift from two to three, uh, War Machine allowed pre-measuring. So you could finally just go, oh, I, can, I can know the distance between my guy and your guy anywhere on the table. I can measure this at any time used to be that you could only measure distances as a radius from your warcaster as long as it was within your control range. We're back to the dark ages now in the before times, right? But now that you can always say, like, I, I need to know the distance between my warjack off to the side and your warjack so I can tell whether or not I can charge them. Oftentimes you'd have to be measuring, you know, over, over hills or walls or... God forbid you had a flying war beast or something and it had to go on the other side of a house. Now, how are you going to put your tape measure through that house to get an accurate measurement? And and we started getting these uh, you know acrylic measuring templates that were not flexible, but they were very precise. So some of that 
necessitated the shift towards a 2D environment for the precision and the level of measurement that the game moved toward. Um, It almost required at a certain point. Yeah, I think Um, because with the rule set, when you compare War Machine to other war games, like the rules are very tight. Um, and, and I think that's one of the competitive appeals for the game and why it attracts that, that those type of war gamers to it. So it's like to Dan's point, when you're talking about the 2d stuff, you can get that more exact measurement, which in the previous edition of this game was, you know, very important, especially when you're moving individual troopers in a unit. So I think that was, that was the other, the other big reason for it. Now, I I will say, as a person that loves the two-dimensional terrain and loves the precision that we get with that, I dearly miss having lots of really cool 3D terrain elements on the table. They look so cool when you're playing with all your your miniatures that you spend a lot of time painting. I have to give a big shout-out to Seth at the uh, Boker Brawl here. He was the first person that showed me the brilliance of of two-and-a-half-dimension terrain. And that, if you've never been exposed to it, is you'll put a a neoprene terrain feature down that is the shape of a house or a wall or something. And then you will put your 3D terrain feature on top of that to depict the cinematic elements of the game. But you don't lose any of that precision because you can just say, if I need to make a measurement that's very important to my game, I can move the 3D terrain feature away temporarily, make my measurement, and then replace it once I'm done getting that accurate information. And functionally speaking to me, uh, that is the best way to play in War Machine that I love the most. Damon, what do you think? We haven't heard from you in a while. I, I mean, <laughs> I I won't say that I was one of the first, but I will say that I was one of the first to ever do 2.5D terrain. I had a local competitive player who insisted that we move to 2D terrain here in the greater Nashville area, and uh, I fought him tooth and nail. I'm like, no, 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 and no. And finally, the happy medium uh, came up with uh, with him with was that I'm like, okay, this is what we can do, and um, it works so well. One of the things I think that has hurt the growth of this this game is the fact that when people walk by, they really don't know what's going on. They see models, but they really can't unless they stand and watch the game identify the gaming table because it's this neoprene stuff that's flat to the table. So aesthetically, it's not a pretty game when played that way. However, as as Erica said, it's always been a precise game. So I think 2.5 is the way to go. It, 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 and if you're not doing that, I would challenge you to start doing that. Because it, it makes the game so much more vibrant, especially with fully painted armies. It, I mean, it catches people's eye. And when you catch people's eye, you can mommy catch their attention and their interest and they're playing in a couple of weeks so that's <laughs> that's yeah. all our hopes right we we've noticed just in our gaming store so we share on our open play night we share with the 40k crowd and people that come in before like they would look at their tables because they have 3d stuff and all the work that you know especially to paul kudos to him for all the painting and terrain work like he's done an incredible job we you know if you look at our battle reports you can see some of the, this amazing stuff he's created for our community but now people come in they stop and look at art like the war machine tables that's never happened before it's a so, welcome change it is it's a hu- and it starts a dialogue it looks exciting like if you're if you're trying to grow this game sure you can have like your you know your 2d stuff but like i'm telling you man like 3d is like the money that the, the 2.5 terrain just it really makes your tables pop. And like Damon was saying, your ar- like the armies look so much better on 3D terrain, you guys. They look 
beautiful. I did want to make a comment, and Eric, I appreciate the kudos for the terrain. I, I love making it. It's great. But we were talking about the 2.5D terrain. I have a love-hate relationship with it, and here's the reason why. The neoprene stuff is on the table. It's there, and we put the stuff on top of it. Our trees are rubble. But 90% of the time that I play the game, as soon as the game starts, what do you do? Players take it off. It, take it off. You, you just take it off, right? It exactly. drives me crazy. The deforestation right. of the Iron Kingdoms continues. <laughs> so that's at least what my 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 personal gripe with two point five. He's right. He's right though. <laughs> just like so that's why I like more the three D stuff, or at least trying to put the three. So if I have a house, like guess what? There's not a template that goes underneath of it. Like it has to stay there. And I know that that is a different game. So maybe when we're doing a steamroller, we do more of that 2.5 that would play to that crowd. But I'm telling you the games that I play, like I do straight 3d at this point because I'm not looking like I am looking for a clean game, but I really want to be immersed in the game the whole entire time and enjoy yeah. every second of it. As opposed to, as I mentioned earlier, like fighting in flatland. I'm like, okay, now we're just like a, like a board game at that point. Yeah. So kind of, just to touch on that like i find when i play on a more sim cinematic or thematic table i don't get so emotionally invested like in my army especially when i'm like rolling bad dice or mm -hmm. it's just i don't know it kind of takes me out of that and it's more of playing a a, a game like a board game almost it just kind of takes that it's hardcore competitive edge off what was that it's an experience now. Yeah, you, and you it's feel it more. Yeah, it, yeah, like I'm more into it on a like a story narrative level versus completely on a competitive. Right. It's almost like know. when you have nothing else to look at, you're gonna you're gonna be more invested in the individual model interactions because there's nothing else visually going on for you to stare mm -hmm. at. I I'm like a centrist. I really love the thematic experience that it comes with all of the awesome terrain features that Paul's putting down on the table. But I really need that convenience of being able to play the game accurately. And for me, that's where the 2.5D comes in. Paul, I will tell you, I hate it when people just rip terrain off the table and don't put it back. Uh, especially for the next person, if you're at a tournament, replace your train features, guys. Replace your divots. Is this a uh, tall grass <laughs> or is this a forest right here? Uh. <laughs> yeah, right? So I, I don't know. What was the terrain feature supposed to be? There's nothing on top of it. I think that will change depending on your player group. I've noticed that the the very... Uh, top level competitive players will gravitate more towards the two dimensional stuff because of that accuracy and then you'll have your like your preferred narrative players will kind of prefer the just 3D terrain elements because they can slap a house down and go around it and whatever. I'm going to say that's this is where I'm going to go to my plug for Nova is that that's actually the table designs and all the work that I've been working on. Those tables are more so for the casual and the narrative events because I know that those players are going to enjoy that experience mm -hmm. and we can still have the flat neoprene stuff and the other things for the, you know, the what is it, the King of Coin event and all that other stuff and not to say like, you know, they won't get it eventually but like you know, I understand what people are coming for this game for, and I think it's important. But again, if we can turn heads and have people be interested and grow a community or grow a convention, like whatever it ends up being, I think it's important to, you know, put those best feet forward. Right. I am going to go say, though, with all the 3D stuff, holy moly, is it a nightmare to store all this stuff? Like, it, <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, before we talk about storage, I want to actually ask Damon a question. So out of, I think out of the four of us, I think 
Damon's probably traveled to more wargaming conventions than the most throughout the country. So what's your observations from the different conventions? Do you find that like a lot of the tournament organizers are kind of keeping in touch with like strictly the 2D stuff? Like what are you seeing from the community? So I was just at a tournament in Atlanta and it was all 2D completely. There was not a 3D piece on a table. That was very disappointing. The last of it before that, I believe, was uh, actually Warfare Weekend. So I haven't done a whole lot so far this year. But in my experience, so like if you go to a major con like LVO, uh, it's, it's, it's like a 2.5. That's what you're going to see there. They put on a great show. They have some incredible tables. And if you if you if you didn't know, they create a lot of stuff that like the squall and stuff like that was first created at LVO. Privateer Press adopted. So I've never been to Gen Con. Adepticon is all 3D. There's no 2D at all. No footprints. It's all 3D terrain. So you'll love that, Paul, if you're going to make it. So, and that's the that's the funny thing about our game. It all depends on where you're going because if you go to St. Louis, it all depends on where where at in St. Louis you're going. If you're going to get 2D, 2.5, or three. But as as you said, Paul, like when I travel to do a, a event, it I mean literally no one's riding with me because I have carts and and boxes and, and and cases in the back of 3d terrain dude like no i want to say one second dan you remember the truck or the car that we took to uh yeah. pax do you remember like <laughs> we, we almost gave the security guards at uh penny arcade expo unplugged uh conniption um we had to make three trips through security with just drawers and drawers and they were like how do I check this stuff? <laughs> we guarantee it's all it's all safe. Like, please just let us through. Yeah, it's, like, it's styrofoam, <laughs> bro. You don't need to. You don't need to check my luggage here. <laughs> but you were saying about traveling with the stuff. You, you travel alone, and you have all the stuff in your car. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, it's it's big old rubber made, like five by five by three tubs of three D terrain. And then the nightmare of when the event is over is coming home and repairing it from the traveling <laughs> because mm. it doesn't it doesn't hold up well, but it's still worth it because again, if you're if you're in a position to promote a game and make the tables look good, I'm going to choose that every time. I would agree. I my for me the turning point was last year's Nova when we had a lot of 2D terrain on our war machine tables, and then I would turn my head and I would look at freaking Minas Tirith. Over to the like, oh, Lord from, of the Rings, yeah. Perfect. Oh my like, God, yeah. Like we can't measure up to that, right? Yeah, so, we are like, next to Lord of the Rings again this year. Okay, so like that's why we got to bring our A game. Okay, that's why we're gonna have the nice tables this time. We got elevation this time, so we got. Right, we're gonna have our own helms deep. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's called Henchold. Oh man, but I'm I'm excited for it though. So yeah, no, I think again, I think the 2D stuff is good for you know your clean play i think 2.5 is that happy medium but again if you're trying to grow the game and stuff i think the 3d is the way to go but speaking of 3d terrain let's actually talk about how mark 4 is doing something different and having interactable terrain in the guard tower i have not seen that in mark 3 and dan was there like there actually damon there, there was like structure rules back in mark 2 weren't there like you could like destroy buildings or stuff yeah, I don't. Yes, in Mark Two it was. Yeah, no one ever did it. <laughs> in, in fact, the first draft of rules for Mark Three had it as well. That was a holdover from the previous edition. Very early on in Mark Three, they were like, literally, no one's doing this. Let's just save pages in the in the rule book. But them doing this Mark Four terrain, like, how do you think of that is shaping up on how tables are going to go? Look, and here's my thing, right? Do you think that 
all players are going to be adopting this who would primarily do 2d terrain or do you think that the 2.5 and 3d terrain are going to be playing with more towers like what do you think that this looks like on a grand scheme because like the 2d stuff is not going to look really interesting with the 3d so the big thing that i'm seeing with online so like at ito events right damon uto a bunch of events as well the the conversation or the dialogue that's happening right now is like we'll use the guard tower right because we have rules for that so damn it like as a to because i'm i'm having this internal dialogue right now trying to figure it out the guard tower do i deploy that on one person's side of the table to give them a decision or do i put it centrally in the table or like in a more central location do I have more than one guard tower on the table? So this is new territory for not just TOs, but for players. So I'm kind of interesting. Like, what's going on with your with your meta, Damon? And what are your thoughts? Also a great segue into yeah. the meaningful terrain decisions. Yes, mm-hmm. I know you Absolute, love this. Take it away. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is your wheelhouse, man. <laughs> this is my love. Um, Preach. Yes. Why we brought you here? <laughs> let me get, <clears throat> let me drink a water. Okay. Um. So, without a doubt, when it comes to the guard tower, I have been thinking the same thing. Do you place these in zones? Do you, where do they go? How do you place them? And one thing that I've I've said already, in my I've already made up in my mind is that there's two ways I'm going to set guard towers. I'm going to centralize them, and there's going to be more than one. And then I'm going to stack a side and stagger it from one side. So it might be one right outside the deployment zone and then one a little bit further up, maybe six, eight inches away going towards the center of the table. Because again, I think this game has TOs, I mean, I'm just gonna be honest, have been lazy. We throw, a lot of TOs throw down terrain. There's no story to it at all. They're just throwing it out. They're going through the motions and the table's not set, not in a strategic way. That it matters if I go first or second, which is huge. Mm. Which because you're taking out a whole die roll. Because if if you're if people are rolling just to go first, in my opinion, you are failing as a TO. I I agree with that 100. percent I think that I see a lot of conversations on the internet about how powerful the go ahead roll is and how it's just there's no question. You just always go first, and it grinds my gears because that is such a pivotal part of the game. Uh, it has to matter. That choice has to matter. It's not just about getting an extra three inches of on your deployment zone if you're the second player. Choosing the side of the table that you want to be on is vitally important. You get defensive terrain features. You get to say, oh, you brought a colossal model? Well, I'm going to stick you on the side that has a giant house in your deployment zone, so that thing ain't going nowhere. That needs to be a consideration for the health of the game and the balance of the game and the competition between two players. Without that, you are missing a lot of War Machine. So if you don't do it, start. Start trying. If you're a tournament organizer, have a conscious decision. What does it look like if I have a flag here and then a a house in front of it to defend that flag? Your games, you will see a difference in your games and how your players play them and respond to them. And I think it will be a positive improvement for your group. So another challenge goes out to all of our listeners. Try and stack the side. Without a doubt, one of the biggest compliments I've had is uh, actually at Warfare Weekend this past year, Minority Report did a team tournament. And Eric Cohn out of Louisville comes up to me. He's like, dude, that table was a nightmare. And I loved every minute of it. He's like, we won the roll off. I chose to go second. So I was not on this. I was on this, this side because the obstruction was right there where he was hitting on the flat the whole game. 
He's like, there's no way they could get to me. And, 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 and I just pressed them away from the flag. He's like, dude, that table was awesome. And I think when T.O. start taking pride um, in thinking these things out, such as like, this building is going to go here because that will slow down the advancement of a, a huge base model. I'm going to put this here because I, so I learned this. I'm going to just go back to Mark II. I, I started doing this when Legion was a nightmare with Eyeless Sight because force did not matter to Legion. But every TO will put up a, a bit force in the middle of the table and say the table's fine because it blocks line of sight. Yeah. So for one full fashion who had incredible range attacks. And I remember seeing a guy in our meta shoot everyone off the table on this. It was a humongous piece of force. It was probably almost 12 by 12. <laughs> it was huge. And I was like, never again. If I ever TO this game, this will never happen to a player. And I take pride in that. Hey, Damon, I actually wanted to ask you something about uh, when a TO creates a theme table. Because I've been playing around with this, and I'm going to go use Arcador Lumber Mill. What is your thoughts on being inventive on, we have a rubble pile, but what is that rubble pile? So, like, in Arcador Lumber Mill, like, we have, like, it's, like, a lumber pile and, like, a place where they saw the logs and stuff. And that's actually the rubble pile. And, like, another area is, like, another, like, workplace in that. It Like, how do you find that you take the terrain rules in War Machine and slightly change them so that it looks more like... It, it's still the same rules, but it looks right it's like a new skin. It's like a new skin. Exactly. Yeah, it's buying a skin for your for your, yeah, for your turn. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm watching Erica's cat in the background just pet the closet door repeatedly. Oh, that's Lance a lot. He's bad. <laughs> He's on notice right now. Good door. Like Good door. <laughs> that's a great question. So Erica asked a question before I think we even started, which was about my lava table. I did a, a theme table at Siege Invitational last year, and it was it was a lava table. And I'll have to shoot you guys some pictures of it. So what I did is I took quicksand and, you know, it's easy enough in Mark two, you, you, uh, I'm sorry, in Mark three, you took, you lost uh, pathfinder. It was difficult terrain. And if you were not down, you take a point of damage. So I took that and put the burning earth effect on top of it. Oh, it did have smoke. So now it's a line block, it's a line of sight blocking. It's difficult terrain. You're not, down. I took those made it lava. So I created a whole piece of terrain that's not in the game. But when I tell you that the players were so beautifully angry with me <laughs> because they were like, oh my, I did not understand how terrible this table was, but how magnificent it was at the same time. Because you lose it, like, huge base models couldn't get over it because they lose Pathfinder. So there was nothing that could get over these things so for flying and then corporal, of course. But so I, I do think we need to think outside the box and put different skin on it, as Erica said. Because no one wants to see the same thing. Well, I'm not going to say no one does. I know I don't want to see the same thing. And surprise me. Wow me. I was going to say, I remember a comment, somebody on Facebook, where they said, like, the war machine, specifically like, the steamrollers. It's just weird. It's like, why is there a random wall in, like, the middle of nowhere? And, like, you're laughing. But, I mean, like, it's true. It's like, why is there this wall in this forest? Like, who lives out here? Why is there a house here? Like, what is this place? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. It's like, dude, like, is this the old witch cottage? <laughs> Where is it? Yeah, I, I think that brings me to one point I wanted to say. Cohesion is also a very important thing, right? Whenever I put down like a house kind of somewhat in the center of the table, I'm like, okay, this is the defining feature, right? So if I look at a house, where's the mailbox? Where's the driveway? 
where is the where is the fence? So I'm kind of going to line up a linear obstacle, maybe a little distance away, but it's going to be lined up with one of the edges of the house to look like part of the property or a border on that property. And if I'm going to put down you know, a crater or something, maybe it's going to be approaching the house because someone was defending that house and an artillery shell landed here. Like I'm going to try and do something with the position of these terrain features that brings it together and tells a story. At the end of the day, I don't remember a lot of the steamrollers that I played in Mark III, and there were a lot of them. I do not remember them when they didn't have cohesive storytelling terrain to them. I still remember games from Mark II and that goddamn hedge I couldn't walk past. It was a pain in the ass at the time, and to Damon's credit, if your players are coming up to you and bitching about the terrain that you put on the table, you've done your job correctly. Because they will remember that game. It will be compelling to them. It will create a memory, and it will bring them back to the table next time. It will bring them back to your event next time, because they know they're going to get a story out of this. And that's awesome. Yeah, Amen, I- brother. Amen. Yeah, I think we started, so like with our battle reports, when we started going into the Mark IV, so I think it was Pete and Rick when we did the battle for the Swampland. So we designed that map to have like a little Gatorman village in one part that had structures and walls and like crates he could hide behind. And then we had Signar approaching like from the jungle and the swamp. So it really... Like the table was interesting, like to watch. Like, it's like watching the battle report and filming it was a lot more fun. But it really like, and then and then their their rematch, right, where we had the Gatorman Village, but this time it was like on fire and there was craters and it was shelled. Like that's cool because it's like a narrative, and you remember that. You remember that kind of stuff. And if you watch those battle reports back to back, go ahead and watch our channel. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> it tells a story. Right, We saw Signar came in, they're invading, now the city's under siege and everything's on fire, all lined up. That's an experience that you can't have in other types of games. This is part of the reason that people are drawn to war games. Let them have that experience. Provide for your players in that way. One thing, like two things actually, by far Tried and True does the best battle reports out there right oh, now. Thanks. Thank no, you. Honestly, That's sweet. Not, Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that just because up <laughs> pay me later. I'm just, <laughs> no, but but no, seriously, like when I when I look at your stuff, not not only is the train, Paul, great job on the train. Not only like you, like the, the the there there's a story. And you see that. And as you said, like as you watch them back to back, you're like, oh my God, I see the war taking effect. And the effect that it's having on the battle map. So that's cool. That, so that's that's the one thing that I wanted to share. Then the, the last thing, um, God, I, I forgot. Oh, never mind. It's gone. I'm old. Hey, well, I'll just say rather, rather really quick battle report plug. So our Scorn Cricks, that's coming out on Patreon this weekend. All right. So patrons, you have that to look forward to. Next week on YouTube, we introduce another narrative element that's brand new to this battle report. So I'm actually really excited to get feedback and see if, if that's something people will like. Well, I wanted to do one thing because we're talking about these terrains and making a cohesive story. Let's actually end it with designing your own stuff and where to go in order to make it happen. So again, I did just put in a basic video, like how to. The reception scene's really good. Like a lot of people looked like they appreciated it. So maybe it's something we can do further down the line. But there's so much YouTube content that's out there. 
I am going to go tell you. I did not make up any of this stuff. I researched myself. There's lots of good stuff out there. There's a guy named Mel who's the terrain tutor. And this guy like had a book. I bought the book, read it, and everything that was in there is what I do in my stuff. And it's super easy. You can look up his videos and he'll teach you how to make hills and bases and all this other stuff. But I guarantee if you could just do like miniature wargaming, like whatever, you'll always be able to get some kind of result, whether if you're doing like a village or like a jungle or a forest. Because how these terrain pieces work is that you could make a couple of pieces and then just accumulate your collection and grow it bigger to the point that you can just pull out some random pieces and it's going to be a cohesive story and it's within your same area and you know, it, it, it makes for engaging experiences. Damon, is that kind of like how you end up doing your stuff as well? Or like you have a different method? Well, in the beginning, I did do everything from scratch from, you know, styrofoam, press boards, stuff like that. Now I am almost exclusively STL. I, I, I 3D print everything. You know, the files are so easily obtainable now. They're very affordable. And once you buy it, you can continue to print it. And as you get more knowledgeable in printing, you can start modifying it and so forth and so on. So that is the route that I've taken here in the last couple of years, and I am loving it. I'm going to go ask, do you do PLA or do you use resin or do you do ABS? I do PLA. I think I have, well, I think I have two Ender 3s that rocks, and then I have one resin printer that I've never plugged. <laughs> gotcha. No, I. it's funny because the Ender 3 is like, that was like the, the, the child that everybody adopted within the 3D community. Absolutely. But I was going to go say is that we learned from a, I don't know if you've learned this lesson too, but when you do your PLA, and this goes to anybody because th this happened to us, do not leave yourself in a hot car because it'll look like, salvador dali's like melting clocks by the end of it so make sure <laughs> so specific i love it <laughs> what i was going to say is like just make sure that you you take care of yourself and and bring it in just so that way it stays in a cool environment if you are making 3d stl files for a convention ask how they store the stuff because the worst thing that happens is that it's stored within a warehouse somewhere and it gets 100 plus degrees and you pull the stuff out and it's just it, it you can't use it and then your your plan goes to shit at that point so i warn people for that because i would hate to see that happen you, you didn't you didn't say anything so i guess that hasn't happened to you so that's good it, it has not I, 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 it won't happen i, I <laughs> <laughs> this terrain is too precious i learned a long time ago do not store your war machine bag with your miniatures in the trunk of your car overnight weather's a weird around here in pennsylvania and it was freezing this morning and then it was 70 degrees after i got off of work and i don't know uh, like it went from literally 30 degrees to 70 in a day how i don't know but when you've got fluctuations like that it does weird things to your metal your resin your super glue so just do yourself a favor unpack your stuff and store it nicely in your house and there's also a really cool group like I, I know we all are on facebook but there are like terrain making groups there is war machine scenic play and stuff like go go and talk to those folks out there maybe even war machine general and just see like hey i'm interested in doing this what are some suggestions for it because uh, again the community is what allows our tables to go look as good as they are so you know don't be afraid of asking those questions because someone will definitely want to go and yeah um and oh on the subject too of community so doing like terrain hobby nights i know that's something that we've talked about in the past that's a great way to get your players involved and to help and then extend that out to the greater tabletop community that's actually how we linked up with the 40k folks and make sure you put a tarp down 
Oh yeah, yeah. Don't use spray paint on the inside, 40k people. Okay, but <laughs> there's a reason why that's said. <laughs> but it's it's a good way to get the community involved together and to kind of expand it. So not just with with war gaming, but like your D and D crowd, and it's just a way to help you know spread the love of War Machine. And um, speaking of the Dungeons Dragons angle, a shout out to one of my favorite YouTube channels for hobby resources. One of the creators that i follow is i think it's black craft or black magic craft black magic craft yeah. that's that guy he he does uh, you know he does mostly Dungeons and dragons related terrain and that scale but all of the lessons that he teaches are translatable to making terrain for a war game so that's a great one to hit if you want to, another recommendation a lot of these guys will go use specific tools like a hot wire tool like they have this table it's like 150 bucks i have not bought one yet <laughs> thinking about it though you know maybe birthday present who knows but uh <laughs> but what i was going to go say is that don't feel like you need to buy everything to begin with just get a couple of things to get started like go grab some insulation foam Go grab some foam board. Mm -hmm. I was going to go say that because you talked about the terrain party, No Quarter Magazine. I think it's like No Quarter 16. I can't remember which one it was, but one of them actually talks about hosting a terrain party night. And it goes through how to make a bunch of different terrains like walls and forests and stuff. And the stuff is like super, super easy mm -hmm. to go do. So I would definitely recommend that maybe you go and research that. Or if you have an old No Quarter or you know somebody who has them, like go see if you can find that yeah. one. And, and to your point, uh, you don't need to buy everything at once. The Black Magic Craft Guy, I think he, he's like, as the name of his channel suggests, a wizard with Mod Podge. Like just the very basic, like $2 glue that you can buy the amount of things that he does with that product on his channel is insane and it's cheap. So there are solutions out there. If you want to handcraft some things that are, are very basic and very affordable that you can do to dress up your tables and make them look very, very nice. And I do want to call back to one thing I said earlier in the podcast uh, about uh, when Erica was talking about the battle engine. And this made me think of, so much of how we evaluate miniatures in this game and rules in this game is tied into the world around them in which they exist and the context in which those rules operate. So you look at a unit on paper and maybe it doesn't seem so good or the rules are not so powerful when you just look at the stat card. But then you put that unit, say, like Winter Court Infantry are being a bit maligned right now. But you put them in a guard tower and I think that unit's going to sing. Likewise, if you have uh, tables designed to be competitively supportive of a steamroller scenario, you stack aside, it will drastically change how you interact with your miniatures and how they play the game together. And that may give you a new outlook on War Machine. So this is us trying to encourage you guys, respect terrain, include it as part of your games. And love that stuff and the draw that it brings to your tables and the players that it brings in. Enjoy and embrace all of the storytelling that comes along with it. And I think it's going to contribute to you having better games along the way. I think that's a good place to end it for the night, unless anybody else has any other comments for it. I think we pretty much hit everything on terrain. So, Damon, do you have anything? No, nah, man. Like, as, as he's been doing all night, mic drop. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, with that, I'll go ahead and say, like, Damon, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm not going to be at Adepticon, but I do hope that there is going to be some... No, wait, uh, Burger Brawl, right? So you're going to be out there for that? The... Hey, man, we'll, we'll go ahead and hang out at the end of April. We're going to hang out at Burger Brawl. It's going to be a good time. I can already tell. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we are going to have a blast. We're going to make sure to have that bathwater, too, at the end of the night. Oh, the no. End. I know. <laughs> is it, uh, we'll talk offline. 
Because <laughs> I, I, do I need to update my will? Like, what's going on with no, that? No, that yo, Bathwater was on point this last uh, year. So I, shout out to those guys. Like, that was I, good. I, take me to the spirit world. Let's go. <laughs> Dan, your remarks, and then I'll go for Erica. I think I said what everything I need to say already. So thanks for sticking with us if you lasted this long. Yeah, thanks so much for hanging out with us again. Hey, Nova, Siege Invitational. Like, we hope to see you guys out at these events, Broker Brawl, Adepticon. We're super excited for Mark IV. Super excited for Old Witch. Um, and yeah, stay tuned for our future battle reports. Really excited with the direction that our team and our community is going. And can't wait to share it with the greater internet and War Machine community. So thanks, guys. And Damon, anything else? Again, thank you for having me. It was more than fun. This was a blast. Uh, getting to talk about what I love the most about this game, it's, at least the TO side of it, is terrain. And giving, giving me the opportunity to share my, my thoughts and my opinions on that. Can't wait to record Raw to hang out with you knuckleheads and, and hopefully get some games in. <laughs> we should of- we should record a, a bat rep at the Broker Brawl one night. Done. We I'm should do it. Now. Let's Hell do yeah. it. That, all right. That's yeah. going to be fun. Flying buttholes everywhere. Flying buttholes everywhere. I might even repaint those. So make, never mind. <laughs> but no, listen, please continue to support. Our, our brother and sisters over at Tried and True, as, as well as us at Minority Report. If you guys don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of effort, time, energy that we put into this in order to give you guys content and give you a look behind the curtain. I guess you can say, and we appreciate your support. Amen to that. That's a mic drop if I ever heard one. <laughs> all right. So from all of us here in Delaware and Tennessee, we hope that you have a great night and thank you so much for joining us. Take care, everybody. Bye. Now. Bye.